you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Good evening, everyone, and welcome again to Kaleo. My name is Erin. Um, it's wonderful to be with all of you and to share this space as we keep learning about Jesus and what he's like and how he lived so that we might practice those ways out there in the world. Um, before I begin, if you didn't hear, um, I just started a new job with Corazon, Arizona as their, yes, I'm excited about it. I'm their, officially their clergy engagement and communications manager. And so we've done collaborations with them in the community before. This is a bivocational thing for me, so I'll be doing that and pastoring here. So just pray for me as I enter this new season. Um, I'm excited about it, and I know that I, I believe it will help me be an even better pastor because I'll be more civically aware and tie that into our faith. So thank you for your prayers with that. Ah, but as always, I like to begin with the land acknowledgement to honor the native people that existed here before us. Tonight, we honor the first peoples of current day downtown Phoenix, the Thana Otham Nation. In the words of Lisa Sharon Har Harper, they were and they are here. We see you, we honor you, and we thank you for laying foundations of harmony, balance, truth, and honor. Thank you for stewarding the land where creator settled your people. We bless you. We bless your elders, past, present, and emerging. Now, we're on week 15 of Ordinary Time, the season after Pentecost in the liturgical calendar. Our passage tonight is Matthew 16, 21 through 28, and we'll be guided by thoughts from Dr. Brian Rashcock, Eric Barreto, Lois Verberg, and Liberation Theology Center. I'm just naming all of them in the beginning, but if you want a copy of the notes, of course, you can always have them. So much of their work made this sermon come together, so I just want to make sure I acknowledge their work as well. So our passage is Matthew 16, 21 through 28, and it reads as this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 bags of gold, and that was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I, as I had on you? 
In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This, verse 35, is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Interesting. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Would you help us understand this complex idea called forgiveness? Would you show us how to forgive ourselves, our lives, and others so that we might continue to create space to practice the ways of Jesus together as the multi-ethnic family of God? Amen. In this passage, Jesus tells a parable about one man who is forgiven a very large debt and then turns around and instead of forgiving someone who owed him a little bit, makes that man go to prison. Then Jesus says, the other characters of the story report this to the Lord who had forgiven the large debt and that Lord throws the unforgiving man into prison himself. This story reflects on a lot of things about human nature, mercy and forgiveness, selfishness and greed, and the social realities of the world we live in. Jesus was very conscious of the social and economic inequalities of his day, as was every peasant Jew in first century Palestine. He was raised in the tradition of the Hebrew prophets who called out massive inequality and injustice in ancient Israel. And like them, Jesus was very focused on caring for the poor and outcasts of society. May we not gloss over the use of debt as a metaphor here. Let us remember that Jesus' context was this, and let's also reflect on our context. Because we also live in a world of massive inequality and should strive to forgive the debt of the poor. Forgiving the debt of third world countries, for example, would go a long way in establishing a more just world. Recognizing that American young adults are both the most educated and most in-debt generation in U.S. history, with 52% of young adults ages 18 to 29 living with their parents, the highest rate since the Great Depression. This should be a clear indication that something has gone awry with the system. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to imagine a better way. Jesus also uses prison as an illustration in this parable. But this is more than just a metaphor. It was a brutal reality for his first disciples, and a punitive justice system continues to plague our society today. In a country with less than 5% of the world's population, the U.S. still holds nearly a quarter of the world's prisoners. We have some soul-searching to do when it comes to our criminal justice system. As Jesus followers, it's important to remember that we are called to care for those in prison and learn about these issues as we follow the call to create positive change in the world. In one of his writings, Richard Rohr focuses on the theme of restorative justice. He compared various justice systems from indigenous peoples who focused on reconciliation and healing to our current system in the states, which is more of an eye for an eye punitive justice system. Restorative justice is justice motivated, motivated by forgiveness rather than revenge. 
Can you imagine a world where forgiveness and healing are our primary focus when dealing with people who commit crimes? Instead of us focusing on punishing criminals, what if we focused on healing them? But that would take a community of people who take Jesus' way of forgiveness seriously. God's forgiveness should transform us into being forgiving persons ourselves. And if that transformation doesn't take place, then we're stuck in that same old prison. It may not be, it may not be just other people that we need to forgive. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves, our lives, and the way that they turned out to be. Or we may even need to forgive God. Being in a prison of not forgiving ourselves, our lives, or God can be a difficult way to live. One way of putting it is this. Forgiveness is to let go of our hope for a different past. Forgiveness is to let go of our hope for a different past. It doesn't mean we need to be happy with everything that's happened to us. It just means we need to learn to fully accept reality, heal from it, and sometimes in spite of it, chart a new way forward. In my own life story, I have plenty of moments to hope for a different past. Plenty of moments where I wish I had grown up in a different church culture that didn't teach me through firsthand encounters the brutal reality of white supremacy and the ways it's nuanced and things like patriarchy, the exclusion of women in power, or anti-blackness, the devalued marginalization of the full participation of black people, which can even exist in other black people or other ethnicities of color. Or fat phobia, the fear of any kind of body that isn't skinny enough for a small, straight, white man to control. Or xenophobia, the fear of new knowledge and ideas, which is the only thing that will enlighten a society to collectively imagine a new way of being together. I've had opportunity to hope for a different past that didn't teach me these things. I've had opportunity to hope that friends I've made who said they loved me did not have room to accept who I grew up to be. I am now someone with a new worldview and perspective of who Jesus is and what his good news means for those who are most marginalized. The person I grew up to be is someone who is not afraid to tell the truth and join in solidarity with those whose backs are also against the wall. I've had opportunity to hope that the world wouldn't see me as less than, not equal to, not as talented as, not worthy to have this or qualified to get that because my socioeconomic status and class puts me in the category of woman and black. And so I ask you, friends, have you also had opportunity to hope for a different past? Is it that reality it is that reality that makes forgiveness so powerful. Because maybe we can learn to forgive our lives for being what they are. And after fully accepting the reality of what is, we can learn to let it go and launch ourselves into the freedom of imagining and pursuing something new. With that in mind, let's revisit our passage once again. 
In Jesus' times, rabbis studied the Torah intensively and peppered their sermons with references to the first five books of the Bible. They often would use even a single unusual or unique word to hint back to a story and make their point more effectively. Their culture was deeply literate in the Bible and would have recognized these allusions to scriptures. Unusual words would stick out at them and immediately bring to mind an earlier story. So in our passage tonight, Jesus seems to be doing just this, to more effectively make his point. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother who sins against me? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, I tell you, but 77 times. Once again, we read that Peter asks Jesus, how many times do we need to forgive? Up to seven times? The number seven is symbolic of completeness, hinting that Peter was saying that we should forgive repeatedly and completely. But then Jesus says up to 77 times, which we often want to translate as 70 times seven because 490 times is larger than 77. But the key to understanding is not in the quantity of 77 or 490, but in the fact that the phrase 77 times or 77-fold is a unique phrase found only once in the Hebrew Scriptures, and it comes from Genesis 4.23, which says this, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. The context was that Lamech, as a descendant of Cain, had inherited Cain's violence, but then also had a lust for revenge. If someone hurt Lamech, he would kill that person, and he was certain to make sure anyone who wronged him was paid back 77-fold. God had told Cain that if anyone hurt him when he was roaming the earth, that God would punish him sevenfold. But Lamech says he will outdo God in revenge. Anybody who crossed him would be paid back in a big way, not just sevenfold, but 77-fold. So if this is in Jesus' mind, Jesus may be saying that we should be as eager to forgive as Lamech was eager to take vengeance. Just as Lamech wanted the punishment to far exceed the crime, we should want our forgiveness to far exceed the wrong done to us. We should be the exact opposite of Lamech making our goal to forgive as extravagantly and complete as possible. I realize Jesus' teachings on forgiveness can also be abused. Forgiveness does not mean the embrace of violence perpetrated against us. Forgiveness does not mean giving free reign to those who could harm us. It does not mean a ready surrender to those who are stronger than us. The context of these teachings is key. Because remember, we just learned from Jesus last week what it means for us to correct and confront those who abuse or oppress us with their power. 
Forgiveness is a gift of grace, a reflection of God's love, not the curse of abuse or a reflection of our worst tendencies as humans. So in this context, Jesus' exhortation to unending forgiveness actually counterbalances the confrontations dictated in the previous verses. A truthful confrontation that ends in repentance that does not also extend forgiveness does not reflect the holistic good news of Jesus. And neither can extended forgiveness that avoids truthful confrontations which made the forgiveness necessary in the first place speak truthfully about Jesus' process for reconciliation and healing. In the context of oppression, conversations about forgiveness rightfully lead to discussions about justice, reconciliation, and reparations. First of all, we know that there are religious leaders, community leaders, and family members who rush grieving people into forgiveness before they're ready. It is actually a form of theological oppression to demand that a human standing in the rubble of his house or the blood of a family member just forgive. It is theological oppression to insist that a mother who has lost her son to violence must immediately forgive or to even praise God that he died for the cause. Forgiveness may come, but are not the grieving allowed to weep first? Secondly, When we consider Jesus' teachings to forgive ongoing and repeated offenses, we wonder, does forgiving let the offenders off the hook? Would forgiving these sins diminish the possibility of achieving justice? And what about compensation for our pain? What about reparations? As I stated before, discussing forgiveness has already moved us into discussing repentance, justice, and reparations. We really don't understand how to forgive while our families, our neighbors, and our communities are not yet free. It's a difficult thing to do. Just this week, District Court Judge Hanen ruled DACA to be unlawful. I'm not sure if you saw that. We cannot let go of our desire for justice while our friends and neighbors are still not seen as equal. For this reason... We join the disciples in praying to Jesus, increase our faith. Someone once offered the example of people who never receive a confession or repentance, but still choose to forgive their offender. For example, women who have been victims of sexual violence. Although such abusers often never admit their crimes, many women have found the act of forgiving them to be powerful. Forgiving the offender sometimes becomes an important part of of their own healing. But forgiveness is also costly. The great sacrifice involved in offering forgiveness is something I'm sure many of us can affirm. Especially when we are talking about forgiving injustices that are ongoing and forgiving offenders who deny that they are hurting us. It is impossible to acknowledge that this can be or it is important to acknowledge that this can be painful. But the admission of guilt and the desire to be forgiven must also be accompanied by repentance. Repentance literally means to turn back. 
It is impossible to turn back time and to erase the injustices of decades of violence, slavery, brutality, and colonization. However, if forgiveness is to lead to reconciliation, there would need to be a real change in behavior, an intentional turning away from the tactics of oppression and turning towards liberation, justice, and human rights. I realize that the contrast between forgiving individuals and forgiving systemic injustice may often come up in our minds and conversations. Although a person can imagine forgiving small daily offenses, the task of forgiving many years of suffering and oppression requires something more. Love alone cannot do it. Maturity alone cannot do it. May we look to how our South African sisters and brothers have worked so diligently for truth and reconciliation after the end of apartheid. And we see that while it is difficult, through grace, real repentance is possible. Liberation and living together are possible. Forgiveness is possible. Reconciliation is possible. But this, this way of being is the work of grace. Forgiveness will not end the conflict. Forgiving our oppressors will not close the book on our grief, nor does it release them from responsibility for their actions. Forgiveness does not and should not take away our passion for justice. Sometimes we are so burdened by our own anger that we become stuck. Perhaps when Jesus commands us to forgive, it is to release us from the prison of our grief, anger, and bitterness so we are freed to pursue justice for our neighbors. Forgiveness is very important for our faith and for our context. For when we forgive, we are the ones who are liberated. When we forgive, we take away the power the oppressor has over us. When we forgive, it is out of a responsibility to break the cycle of violence. Jesus taught us to forgive 70 times seven. But the same Jesus has also called us to seek justice, to liberate the oppressed, and to speak truth to power. And so we seek to be faithful in all of these commitments. And so we pray along with the disciples, show us the way, Lord Jesus. Increase our faith. Let us pray. Let's take a moment to be still. Are there moments that we have willingly extended forgiveness simply because we did not want to tell the truth? Jesus, we lay this reality at your feet. Are there moments that we have told the truth 
and been confronted with even more abuse of power. Jesus, we lay this reality at your feet. Are there moments that we haven't forgiven our life for what it is and has become? Jesus, we lay this reality at your feet. Are there moments we haven't forgiven ourselves for whatever reason that might be? Jesus, we lay this reality at your feet. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you help us to reflect, interrogate, question, and ponder the mystery and vastness of things like love and forgiveness? For we know that your embrace is wide and your forgiveness abundant. But we also realize that your forgiveness includes truth-telling, repentance, safety, courage, bravery, dignity, agency, and, your, and love. In your name we pray. Amen. Holy are 
God strong and mighty. You're the Lord God mighty in battle. There is no one like you in all the earth. We'll forever sing your praise. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.